Hello everyone, and welcome back to Movies After Midnight, where we are uh, kicking off Mummy March Madness. Um, we will primarily be focusing this month on the uh, beloved uh, Brendan Fraser-centric Mummy series, but uh, as you may or may not know, um, 1999's The Mummy was based off a 1932 Universal Horror Classic, and I felt it was only appropriate to kick off this sort of, uh, deep dive by, uh, talking about the, uh, the original classic itself. And so we're gonna be, we're gonna be looking at that today. And, uh, right, right out the gate, I do wanna... I, I normally I kinda walk through things piece by piece, but I, I do, uh... So when you talk about old movies... You are talking about movies that exist in in societies and value systems that are like. I, I mean, I'd like to say that we don't have any more. That's that's debatable, but uh, that that are clearly much more. You'll find things that you object to that maybe people didn't object to as much back then, and it's it can get dicey. Um, and I so I wanted to point out a couple of things just beforehand so that we're not. Because there are things I think this movie does well, but I, I I wanted to like give time to like be like yeah they, you know they did these things and they probably should have. Um, uh, let me see, because there were a couple. Th so first of all, you know, it's uh, the Mummy is a film about archaeologists and and everything, and there's there's already a whole, you know, kind of dialogue about that. A whole like, not not dialogue, but like, you know, the the ethicality of of like people, usually white people, going to other cultures and, like, taking their stuff and breaking into their historical monuments and all that. That's a whole... Like, already that's being used thematically, and so, so like, that... In, in terms of an adventure film, I, like... It's... As far as this film goes, that's not, like, a, a horrible overtone. Like, there is even some... Some discussion about, about it, like... Not not like deep discussion, but considering when the movie was made, we'll we'll get to that. Um, um there's there's a lot of uh, uh, you saw this a lot in westerns of the time too, but like uh, actors that are uh, characters that should be not white being played by actors who are white and are made up to not look white, and that's you know that's that's a big oof. Though I I do want to say. At least some of the some of the people like a lot of the supposedly Arabic people in this movie. They at least they didn't look white to me, so like they they might have done better with that in this movie. Like I can't I can't say, but there were definitely a couple people where I was like I I'm not sure. Um, and uh, primarily, and I mean you do have you do have plot points where like you know. The, the brown guys are doing all the heavy lifting while the the main the white characters kind of kick back although that like as uncomfortable as it is that's kind of how like I feel like a lot of those excavations would have gone so like you, that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms uh primarily uh and this this was kind of um so uh the the vil the mummy in this film Imhotep uh I guess I guess to give some background to this film uh, Production-wise, it was basically made as a follow-up to Dracula's success, and like on a structural level, it is very much the same story as Dracula, where you have a monster 
coming back and uh, possessing these powers of hypnosis to kind of make people do his bidding. And that's that's like one thing Dracula did, but uh, both him and Imhotep in, in The Mummy 1932 make use of that pretty heavily. Um, and I noticed, as I was writing, I was like, oh, it's funny, he only ever, like, uh, hypnotizes people who aren't white. And then I found out that there's a story reason for that, but that makes it so much worse. Um, so there's, there's this, like, house servant guy, uh, in the film that Imhotep hypnotizes and gets him to, like, do his bidding and take some stuff and... Uh, kill a guy and everything and the the they're they're looking at things afterwards and the doctor's like oh he was he was a Nubian so because Imhotep like had power over his people he has power over him and I'm like that's for for lack of a better term that's kind of, kind of <laughs> fucked up and like I just yeah, I, again I just wanted to like point these things out because I feel like to not point them out would be kind of kind of disingenuous um, and, like, again, there are, like, I'm gonna get into, there are reasons you would want to watch this movie, but, like, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, we talked about that a little on, uh, when I was on Aaron's podcast, and we did, uh, I can never remember, uh, the Bond movie names, but it, it was the one where they, the, they kind of, like, took a lot of black exploitation cues, um, uh, starring Yafit Koto, um, uh, R.I.P. Yafit. Um, and, and, like, that movie was... It, it got into problematic territory. And we, we kind of discussed that. How, like... You know, even what like when there are parts you like about a film... And then even even one thing, one singular thing... Like, the, that kind of, like... In, t in terms of, like, race depiction stuff that rears its head... It kind of, you know, it can kind of ruin the whole... Uh, um, little bit of leaven... Uh, leavens the whole lump, as they say. Um, I, I don't know if that analogy applies here, but yeah. Again, I just I just wanted to ta mention that before I got into all these other things, because you know it it stood out and like you know I I don't I wouldn't want to like tell people to watch this movie and then have them see that themselves and be like oh wow I am really like uncomfortable or or put off by that. I mean, which, like, you know, you probably would be, but you know what I'm saying, like, I, I just, yeah. So, so, now that we've discussed that, um, talk, uh, going back, um, this film, uh, again, like, it's part of the universal horror canon, and it is, it's, it's part of that canon for good reason. It was, uh, because it's a follow-up to Dracula, it hits, hits a lot of the same story beats, but you can tell, uh, Dracula was a film made very early on in the life lifetime of talkie pictures and there are a lot of elements where you can kind of tell that they're still figuring out how to use sound like there's a lot of like v like dracula is very minimal on score in some places and it's really weird to me um and i, I think uh, by the time they were doing the mummy they they understood certain things about uh, using sound in, a f in film a lot better and i think Things like that. They understood things about sound and pacing that they didn't know when they made Dracula or were still figuring out when they made Dracula. And so I think in terms of, like, structure and pacing, it's a much more polished film. Um, also, it, um, 
uh, it is sort of loosely, and I mean very loosely, inspired by a Bram Stoker novel, a different Bram Stoker novel called, it's like uh, Beneath the Seven Stars or something, something like that, I can't remember, but it was a, it was a story he wrote about, there's a mummy and there's resurrection and reincarnation, and it hits a lot of the same themes, even though the stories are very different, and so I... I don't know this, but it feels very inspired by that story, and it would make sense that if they were looking to follow up Dracula, that they would look at another Stoker novel. Um, so we begin in, I think, 1922, uh, give or take, and we are introduced to some characters who have dug up, uh, are digging up ruins and going through artifacts. Uh, there's this younger guy, uh, Edward Van Sloan, actually, another link to Dracula, um, Edward Van Sloan played Abraham Van Helsing in Dracula, and his character Dr. Muller, I think I think they say Miller, um, in this film is basically uh, Dr. Van Helsing. Like, he's the same character, he has the same moments, he has the same, like, understanding of the kind of arcane side of things. Um... Uh, so there, there, he's one of these, actually, I think he comes in later. Um, but there are these three archaeologists, they, uh, have found this, uh, sarcophagus with a very well-preserved mummy inside and this chest, and this younger researcher's really intent on opening this chest, and it, there's kind of this discussion of, like, he's like, this could be really, you know, this could be huge, this is exciting, and the older guys are like, yeah, we've, we've been doing this for years, you know, you know, we're just here to learn, chill. Um, and there's some, there's some discussion about that, and they read the box, and one of the, because there's a, a British professor, and there's a, a, a like, local professor of some kind, and he, uh, the local professor's like, yeah, there's still definitely, like, magic on this stuff that we, we shouldn't mess with, we should not open these things. And they kind of go outside to have a debate about it. And the younger uh, archaeology student, eventually curiosity, gets the best of him. Uh, um, and before they go out, what triggers that argument is they read that, like, death will come to whoever opens this box. And so the younger archaeologist, he's like, you know what, I'm going to check it out. Um, we do get a line, because uh, they're looking at the sarcophagus, and I think I think they're like, all the protective stuff on it. And I don't know how accurate, accurate the, the idea of etching stuff into the sarcophagus was, but I, like, I know in ancient Egypt there was the, the idea of, like, doing things to, like, make sure that the, whoever was buried was, had a safe journey to the afterlife, and they're like, oh, all that stuff has been wiped off, someone really didn't like this guy, um, and the younger professor's like, oh, maybe he got, maybe he got a little too, uh, too intimate with the Vestal Virgins, and, like, it's, uh, one of those lines that reminds you that this was definitely a pre-code film. Um, if you're not if you're not up on film history, um, there's a term I got absolutely sick of in film film school because you hear it all the time when you discuss old movies. Um, basically, in I can't remember exactly the year, but there was uh, something called the Hayes Code that was introduced. That was like it basically set down this this series of laws that basically like if you wanted to be you know, endorsed and supported and everything, your film had to adhere to these things and not do these things. And it was a very, like, exacting list of, like, you know, you can't 
ha- not not only can you not ha- show sex, you also can't do anything that would hint at them having sex, which is where we get that like gag trope of like married couples sleeping in sec- separate beds, or uh, no, you can't hint at this. No homosexuality. If you depict gangsters, they need to like die or somehow like suffer so that they're not depicted in too positive a light and all this stuff and that really uh that was that that didn't start to give way until uh late 50s early or i think sometime in the 60s actually but uh it's it's been too long the dates are fuzzy in my head but um so when a lot of people think of the the kind of like older films they expect that kind of code era behavior and these universal films uh a lot of the older ones like like this predate the code by just a little bit and lines like that kind of remind you that they predate the code so that's always fun um but basically he opens the chest and he finds some stuff as he sits down and looks at it he he finds a scroll and he and he uh the scroll has this like spell of resurrection and uh did he open no you you know i think they all opened the chest and he read the i can't i can't remember exactly how it shakes out but basically the scroll is read and uh while he's alone in the in this room uh the mummy imhotep who uh was buried comes back to life and takes the scroll and walks out and the actor playing this uh this younger researcher uh, he he does such a great job of portraying like actual. It's rare in horror films that you see horror portrayed like that well. Like as, as someone who's who's been getting into a lot of horror films, like rarely, like rarely do I feel like a scream scene like really sells me. Um, sells me on what's going on. Like I don't know. It's it's really hard to uh, like performing fear is very difficult and this guy like he he basically he sees like we don't really see the mummy we have like a pan up shot on him and we see him start to move and then we have another shot of this researcher sitting there he looks up he screams and then he just starts like laughing like his brain is completely just snapped from seeing this like you know, horrifying thing that he never could have expected, and, like, they come back in on him, and he's just laughing like a madman, and, like, the way the actor portrayed that, like, switch from screaming to laughing, and, like, the intensity of it, it, like, it, you really get this sense that he's had this almost, like, Lovecraftian loss of sanity, and it's one of, one of the most, like, chilling horror movie moments that I I can think of, especially, like, I remember watching this movie way back when I was very young, and I don't remember a lot of it, but that moment stuck with me. And it's it's just a really good, like, horror moment. Um, and so then we actually cut ahead by, uh, ten years, and the, the British researcher has basically, uh, uh, we see his son is now excavating in Egypt, and he has a talk about, like, yeah, ever since that guy went mad ten years ago, my father just stopped coming out on expeditions. It's weird. Um, and they, uh, they're looking around, and they haven't re- him and his partner haven't really found anything, and they're approached by, uh, 
this this man who is also played by uh, who is played also played by Boris Karloff, who's credited as playing the mummy. So you kind of get um, uh, basically the um, it's. I don't remember when they break this down, but it's pretty obvious from the get-go. Basically, the mummy has resurrected himself and set himself up as uh, with a modern-day pseudonym and everything. Um, and he's going by the name Ardeth Bay, which, if you've watched the 1999 movie, will be familiar to you. Um, and so um, that's that was actually one of uh, Stephen Summers' things about the film when he was talking about how he wanted to make the mummy seem really monsterish in the '99 film. He was like, "Cause yeah, for most of the '32 film, it was just Boris Karloff with wrinkles." Um, and actually, you like this is probably one of the few Universal films where I think Karloff was really able to showcase his acting ability. Because especially like being the guy who was known for for bringing Frankenstein to life. Uh, a lot of times he he would end up beneath uh, you know beneath a lot of makeup or portraying these kind of like simple-minded characters and this is a film where he really gets to he had uh, at times Imhotep has has shades of Darth Vader in this film with the like again he has an aura of being kind of very Dracula-esque um, in kind of the He's, you know, he's not a mindless villain. He's an intelligent villain, and he's someone who wields his power very uh, directly. And in terms of performance, uh, this is this is one of uh, this is a really good role for Karloff, I think, um, because he's able to kind of flex that side more. When I think he, uh, like I said, a lot of his characters were a lot of his the monsters that he portrayed anyway were were portrayed were a, a little less. Had a little less going on. Um, but uh, also, uh, another side note, uh, talking about... So pretty much all of these movies t- play it kind of fast and loose with Egyptian mythology um, for for various reasons. Uh, some some problematic, some just... The, you know, uh, the state of what what, pe- what people probably knew at the time was, was different. Um... And one of those things is that Imhotep was also a real a real life person, and he was actually pretty cool. Like he he was like this really renowned architect, and I want to say he he like originated something. Like he built some of the first like some of the like really important like structures that still stand today. He was like involved in their creation, and like he was this really cool, really great, like, guy in Egyptian history, and they just named the mummy after him, so now his name is, like, remembered probably more for that than all his great architectural contributions, so so take from that uh, what you will. Um, but getting back to the film, uh, basically Imhotep shows up, and he's like, uh, um, or Ardeth Bey shows up, and uh, he, he says, oh, I found, I... I live around here, and I happen to find this artifact near near this tomb, and they're like, "Oh, geez, how'd you find that? Why are you uh, giving it to us?" And he he mentions that he's not. Uh, he's like, uh, "Locals aren't locals aren't allowed to dig things up. Only foreigners." And so basically, like, for both legal and I think implicitly mystical reasons, uh, he is not allowed to dig up this tomb that he wants into, and so he sort of uses them to to get around that. Um, and they find the body of this, uh, dead priestess. Um, and, and of course all these treasures. It's very, uh, 
uh, very King Tut's tomb, you know. Um, and it, it's this big deal, and they take her back to, um, or no, they don't take her back to England. They uh, there's actually a, there's actually an exchange. That's what I was talking about, uh, where the the uh, the kid's father actually comes out to look at all this stuff, and the kid is like, oh. It sucks that they won't let us take all our all this stuff with us back to Britain, and his father's like, "We can, we're we're here for science, not for treasure." Like, and, and kind of like is basically says like, "We don't we don't need to take their stuff." And again, in in context of the the like ethical discussions about like the the way archaeologists work in a lot of these movies, that was an interesting line to hear in thirty two. Like, they didn't really emphasize that but even even kind of like give like maybe i'm giving him too much credit but it was interesting to me um oh, do yeah for science not for loot um but they are uh, they are int- um they they sort of return to england and are uh discussing sort of discussing what they found and uh they meet um as they're as they're going through that, we meet uh, this character named Helen, who is uh, she's the assistant of uh, Doctor Muller from the beginning. Miller, Muller, it's spelt Muller, but they they said Miller, so I'm uh, uh, she's the assistant of Doctor Miller from the beginning, and uh, her and the main guy have some interactions. Um, and basically Imhotep is there as, as sort of the benefactor of this and he he uh basically he kind of zeroes in on her as uh um she turns out to be the basically the resurrect or not resurrected reincarnated uh soul of of the woman who uh of the the woman that they dug up who he is intent on on resurrecting and several times he he performs this ritual to to like draw her soul to him and helen sort of enters this this trance state where she like leaves this party drives to the uh, museum of natural history um and tries is trying to get in to to basically answer this call that's taken over her and that's when the lead character um uh, the lead guy and his father happen to be driving up to the museum, and they're like, "Hey, what's this lady doing?" And they find her and take her home. <clears throat> uh, before she can, before Imhotep can get to her, but that sort of establishes this this conflict, and again is where we get really into Dracula territory, where you have basically this lead female who's being afflicted by by the monster guy, and and the main conflict is like. relinquishing this hold he has on her but uh one of the things i think this film really does better than dracula is the character of uh helen um played by the actress uh zita johan i think it's johan um she um she just comes off as a lot stronger than than mina harker did in the original film or in the in dracula and I think a lot of that is just because uh, Zita Johan plays her with this. There, even when she's kind of succumbing to the to Imhotep's control, there's this very like self-assured, almost kind of defiant, like subtle, like strength to her character. And so, like, even though she's in this very like um, 
not not necessarily helpless, but like de-emphasized role. Her like her attitude kind of shines through and makes this character like it makes you invest in her as a character. Or at least it did me. Um, and again, um, when Karloff uh, or when Imhotep uh, realizes it's her, he I think he's actually visiting uh, because he he just sent out that spell. He didn't know who was going to respond. And he's he happens to be visiting them, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that uh, it's cool. Sorry, I couldn't be at the party." Uh, he, uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, we found this girl who was trying to get into the museum," and he's like, "Oh, she was trying to get into the museum. I see." Um, and that's when he kind of fixates on on trying to get her, and uh, so, so basically the the rest of the conflict of the film is him kind of trying to continuing to reach out magically and do these things to both get to her and shake these guys off of his trail because as uh, especially Dr. Miller again much like Abraham Van Helsing um, starts to figure out because uh, that's what happens they uh, he is he's doing a spell this uh, reading this scroll that he took when he was at the start of the film and he has to leave it behind as um, as he's found out, as those guys showed up to uh, to take Helen home, because he uh, did, like he he was in there, so he didn't want to be caught. And um, so basically, they are in in possession of this scroll, and he's trying to both get the scroll back and get her. And Doctor Muller pretty quickly realizes what's going on, and they have almost the exact same moment that uh, Van Helsing and Dracula have, where he he like. I think pulls out a mirror and like has a cross and stuff and like they where he's like I know who you are and I know what you're doing and he's like oh yeah well I'll just hypnotize you and he's like bet and uh like it's pretty much the exact same moment with the exact same actor um which again like it's again it kind of shows you how how like everyone involved had had time to refine their craft since Dracula was made because again, I think there's an energy and a, a tempo to this film that Dracula didn't always have. Also, my I, I, I screwed up one of my lashes, and I'm not. Uh, yeah, just just don't look at it. Um. Uh, but yeah, and and again, as he yeah, as as the film goes on. Imhotep really starts to feel like Darth Vader as he indirectly mind controls people and. Uh, uses uses this this magical force to kind of influence things from afar, um, and eventually he gets Helen to come to him, and shows her in this pool. He shows her like what happened, where he was this priest of uh, I can't remember in in the ninety nine movie he's a priest of Osiris. I can't remember if that um, came from this or if they added that in, but. Uh, where she's this priest of Isis and she dies and he's in love with her so he is going to resurrect her but then um, uh, is ba he's basically found out and punished for attempting to resurrect her um, and and mummified in this way where he you know he doesn't get any of his wards for for the afterlife and so he suffers this curse and everything Um and I, I discussed that with someone too, how uh I get again it um 
we actually we we will talk about this because that episode definitely hasn't i definitely recorded these in order and i'm not doing this last uh, we will talk about that in uh the mummy returns how a lot of times like ev- like uh, western movies we tend to uh put like even when we're using different pantheons we tend to put the energy of like judeo-christianity on on those pantheons and like that's that's kind of one of those things where like the 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 like unnatural dark ritual idea feels very it, it feels more like something out of, out of a out of a catholic framework but it it makes for good cinema i guess um uh where where even was i okay so he he um so imhotep basically shows her her past in this hypnotic state um and um we we as the audience get this story and he he slowly starts kind of awakening her memories of her past life within her because he's like yeah i i loved you for a thousand years and i want to like resurrect you so we can be together and everything and uh um this actually uh this film actually does kind of grapple with uh with reincarnation in in ways that i feel like the la- the uh remakes kind of gloss over actually because there is uh also they establish that helen is half egyptian which like her her actress is definitely not half egyptian um I can't remember. I think Zeta Johan was from Austrian American actress. Yeah, so not half Egyptian. Um, and uh, also, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going through my notes. So if my thought process is a little non-linear, it's because my notes were very non-linear. Um, there is a. There are some shots in. Uh, in this film during the flashbacks where they're like they you know they buried him and or they built this tomb and then they killed the people who built the tomb so that nobody would know where it was and it shows these guards throwing spears into dudes and they show the impalement and again um it really emphasizes that this was a pre-haze code film because they're like showing this gruesome impalement which is a it's a really good effect all things considered for the time and what's funny is they actually uh, Universal made several sequels throughout the the forty the thirties and forties to this film or follow ups I should say they weren't really sequels um, and they used the same footage but they all kind of skipped around that impalement scene uh, because those films were um, were made during the era of the code so they they had to re- they reused footage but but kind of cut around the the gnarly part. Uh, I want to say that, you know, I, I think a few of them kept it and it was really like, dang, I didn't think it would make that in there. Um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, we we're talking about how, he- uh, Helen is, yeah, she starts to, she starts to kind of grapple, um, by the end of the film. He, he's taking her to this, to his kind of magic ritual room and he takes her uh, down and brings brings back her memories and they they very much distinguish between um helen and uh, the priestess Ankh. in again in the 99 film they say Ankh, Ankh to the moon 
but in the 32 movie they do say it differently and I can't remember how but it was different and that confuses my head so I'll just call her Ankh. Uh but they, they distinguish between those two characters like she very clearly like when she's when the memories of one are activated she is a different person than when she has the memories of the other and like they don't deal with it a lot, but they deal with it, and I feel like, uh, especially when we'll talk about The Mummy Returns, they they don't really deal with the implications of reincarnation as much as, like, there, there's so much there as a writer, I feel like, to work with, and films never really delve into that like they should. Um, and that actually brings me to the climax of the film. Um, again... Um, people who are who are really into Egyptian mythology will probably um, have have issues with j- just kind of the way it's all it all shakes out. But um, basically, what happens is he takes her and he's like, "I'm going to perform this ritual where will he sets fire to the mummified body and he's like, "We're uh, we'll resurrect your old soul and this new body and then we'll be together and everything." And he's performing this this ritual where he's gonna kill her, like basically kill her, so he can resurrect her and like seal the deal, basically. Um, and she's going along with it, but then as as more of her memories start to come back, uh, she's like, "Wait, no, I'm like, I'm I'm a priestess. I'm not supposed to take part in these like like dark rituals, basically." Which again, again, like. The, not really a thing historically, but whatever. Um, and so she she prays to Isis, and she's like, like, uh, what is she? She's like, return return the knowledge of like the the spells you taught me, so I can stop this basically. And as uh, the two the male leads, Doctor uh, Miller and uh, uh, generic Universal hero movie guy, I can't remember his name. Um. As they show up, Imhotep basically has them, like, taken care of. Like, he he uses magic dark Jedi powers to hold them at bay, and he pretty much has them on the ropes. And it's her uh, praying to Isis that causes this Isis statue to, like, raise up and, like, basically smite Imhotep and send him back to the grave so so that was like that was really interesting to me that at at the end of the day the two kind of stock male heroes are basically like kind of useless in the grand scheme of things they don't accomplish a whole heck of a lot um like like Imhotep basically has them beaten at every turn now that I think about it um and at the end of the day it's it's not even the modern woman it's the woman from the past um, and a female deity from outside the Judeo-Christian pantheon, which again, like, is is really like that's if this film were made a couple years later, I don't know if that's something we would have seen. Um, but it is like at the end of the day, it's it's this this woman from the past, not even her modern, uh, soul basically. Uh, that is the one that kind of puts a stop to all this, and like uh, you know, after that she kind of kind of returns to herself but it, it like it's very interesting and kind of kind of neat like that at, at the end of the day the the power was really with this bo- both a woman and a deity that exist kind of outside the parties that are typically empowered by the ending of these films um and so that like 
that that was kind of that was the one thing that kind of because like I was talking about when there's when there's really uncomfortable depictions like of minority people like it can kind of ruin an entire movie for you and like that the way they they dealt with that at in the ending is like the one thing that I kind of might have saved this movie for me I don't know if it does but like it's just it's it's something I didn't expect to see um and yeah as far as far as like again because structurally it's it's basically like a slightly more polished version of Dracula with mummies in it so so like whether you want to watch this movie I think is very much dependent on what you're looking for it's but it, it, it like let it let it never be said that it's not well done because it is very well 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 made um and after this yeah uh, Universal made several more films I wanted to talk about them but there's like five of them and I, I just didn't have the time. Um, what is it? It's like The Mummy's Ghost, The Mummy's Curse, The Mummy's Tomb, something else. And uh, uh, Abbott and Costello meet The Mummy, I think. is It's, it's a universal movie, so technically it's in there. Um, but uh, what's interesting is all of those films um, deal with a mummy named Karis, who uh, has no real connection to Imhotep, other than I think they both kind of have that backstory of, like, they did something bad, they were punished... Um, but with Karis, he's usually, he's brought back by someone else and sort of used to enact vengeance. He, uh, those movies, they, they kind of originate a lot of slasher tropes where you have, uh, one monster kind of making his way through this list of helpless people. Um, and there are some things in the, the Steven Summers films that take, I think those films take as much from the Karis movies as they do from the original Imhotep movie. But, uh, Karis doesn't get talked about that much, so, like, I wanted to point that out. And then, of course, you have, uh, the, uh, 1959 Hammer film, because Hammer was kind of, uh, doing all the, all the Universal monsters, where, uh, you have Christopher Lee playing the mummy, and Peter Cushing playing, uh, um, I'm not sure who he, I'm not sure if he plays Dr. Miller, or if he just kind of fills the same role, but, you know, Christopher, uh, Peter Cushing being an absolute, absolute lad. Um, and I haven't seen those films, but they look uh, pretty solid. Like, they're, they're Hammer films, so you kind of know what you're signing up for. <laughs> I, I, uh, they're Hammer films made before, like, the... I, I don't know. There was, there was a period where Hammer films got kind of jank. But, uh... Um, what the, like those Dracula movies set in the nineteen after after the Dracula movies moved into the modern era they got kind of kind of rough. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but that's uh, that's getting sidetracked. So so basically, um, this nineteen thirty two film has never had a real sequel. But basically, every every mummy film that has attempted to retell its story kind of kind of starts anew. And so that's really interesting. Also, that it's had this lasting influence despite prob um i feel like of the universal monsters like uh especially before like the the film in like 99 and stuff i feel like <clears throat> the mummy was kind of not not the first universal monster people thought of you know you have frankenstein you have dracula the wolfman uh even creature from the black lagoon probably and like the uh, like thinking of things like the uh, was there a mummy in the Monster Squad? I don't know, um, but like it's 
it certainly wasn't their like a film but like it still had this really lasting impact and i think it was done really well especially again uh boris karloff and zita johan both like delivering really solid performances uh and 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 so it's yeah yeah uh yeah uncomfortable stuff aside it is really well done and it makes sense that it had this kind of impact that sort of continued to this day and like i feel like it it's sort of you don't see mummy movies that often now they think about it like aside from from the ones i mentioned there's always kind of a boom um like when in 99 there was of course the mummy um that we will talk about uh there was uh russell mulcahy's tale of the mummy there was an actual attempt at uh it was called like bram stoker's the mummy and it was an actual adaptation of that uh beneath the um whatever that's called let me let me check what that book is called okay the jewel of the seven stars um um and i think there were a couple movies based on that um but like in the interim it seems like it's pretty much just sequels to the universal mummy and that's about it but there's always that one series that kind of like enthralls a, a new generation with like ancient egypt and ancient egyptian literature because i feel like that i feel like for me like for my gen at least my generation anyway you were either you know you you either had a dinosaur phase or you had an ancient like an ancient egypt phase and i was an ancient egypt phase kid and i think for all its problems this film is was really the start of that that kind of legacy in popular culture where there was always at least something that existed and maybe it didn't depict things properly but it depicted enough to get a lot of people like myself really interested in learning more and so i i guess <clears throat> i guess that's a, a a legacy feels like an odd term to use but i guess that's something this film left behind also um but yeah that was uh that was the mummy from 1932 um and yeah just i just wanted to discuss it as it as it kind of laid the groundwork for the the trilogy that we will be discussing um in the weeks to come I will have uh, I'll have Nick with me for all of those, so you won't just hear me like rambling and getting really sidetracked. Um, and um, yeah, I hope I'll uh, I hope you guys will join me again. Um, I s hope to be in the near future also uploading our uh, our old uh, gentlemen prefer cinephiles era episodes um, as sort of archival stuff. So if you're new to the podcast. Um, we, we actually have been around for a little while, just not as our own podcast. Um, but yeah, if you're new to the movies after midnight family, you can look forward to those to kind of catch up on, uh, what we, what we've done in the past. Um, and yeah, we will continue mummy March madness for the next few weeks and I hope to see you guys then. So I will, uh, talk to you next time. <laughs>